Good morning. I'd like for you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Last week we talked about their revival. I want to show you some of the things that came out of that revival a little bit. Some of the implications it has for you and me. I really hope that one of the things we're getting out of this Nehemiah series is the importance of uh, being in God's word. For God's people to be in God's word. What they can learn from that, what they can take from it, and, and how they apply that to their lives. And last week... We did watch them at their water gate, unlike the water gate we had in our history. Theirs was not a time of disaster. Theirs was a time of of praise and and rejoicing because they came back to the word of God. And one of the things I talked about last week in revival is to remind us that revival, as far as I can see and what I've looked at, is not a matter of jumping up and down, shouting and hollering, getting people to turn around. It's something that takes place based on established truth. And when they saw the truth established in the word of God, they turned and they came back to God in the way they needed to. Uh, You can't turn a nation, a church, even an individual based on emotion. It has to be based upon something that's solid. And the only solid thing really to hold on to is God's word and to submit to that. So here they are at the water gate hungering for the word of God. The people had a compulsory famine that they went through, a famine of hearing the word of God. They went into captivity, and they were there for decades. And now that they've returned from captivity, they come together as a nation. They're hungry for God's word. And they stood, and they listened, and honored the reading of God's word for something like five to six hours. Straight. And when that was finished, they all said amen. And they worshiped God because they were thrilled to be back in his word. Uh, you know, it, it reminded me in looking at that, sometimes we study worship. I think sometimes we need to have a class and study how to worship God. And here's one of the steps that they did in that. They worshiped God by honoring his word in the way that they gave attention to it. So they took the word in its original language, put it in the language of the people of that day, and they gave it meaning so that the people could live what they were hearing. That's how you have a revival. But the revival then caused them to have a response in the way they were going to live, and it gave them some insights. And so I want to talk a little bit about insights into insights this morning. I want some insights into the insights that they got out of that and and to share a few things with you based on that. Notice, if you will, please, verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households, of all the people, the priests, And the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the word of the law. I think that's a powerful verse. I want to do three things with this last section of scripture this morning. And the first one I want to do is kind of look at what it is to have people of insight. Verse 13 says, they came to Ezra to gain insight. And the word insight, and that's what's used in the New American Standard translation comes from a hebrew word that means to be prudent it's the idea of being discerning in the practical management of one's daily affairs the dictionary says the word insight means you have the ability to see and to understand clearly the inner nature of things 
the capacity to gain an accurate and deep intuitive understanding of a person or thing, to discern the true nature of a situation. And so the verse is saying that here they are, the leaders, uh, the men, all of the fathers of the household realized that it's not enough to to just have a superficial knowledge and, and just a basic understanding of God's word. They wanted to have something deeper than that. I want you to notice that the word input and the word insight are two different things. You know, just being in a Bible class and listening to sermons or absorbing more facts so as to uh, increase or enlarge your reservoir of biblical knowledge is not what we're talking about. Because that doesn't mean that uh, you're more keenly aware of the deeper things of God. You know some facts, but do you know the deeper things that are involved with that? And nor does that mean that you know how to practically manage the daily affairs of your life from a biblical point of view. I want you to think back to the text in Mark 6 that was read a while ago. And in that situation, Jesus had fed the thousands. He had fed them with five loaves, two fishes. And when you read on, it says that he went on up to a mountain to pray. He told his disciples to go across the lake in a boat. And in the middle of the night, there they are straining against the wind and uh, trying to use the oars. Jesus sees them straining, and he goes out and he walks on the water toward them. And when they see the figure coming on the water, they assume that's a ghost, and they're frightened. And what Jesus sees is a faith problem. Because in verse 51 and 52 of Mark 6, it says he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were greatly astonished, for they had not, according to the New American Standard, they had not gained insight into the the incident with the loaves. So exposure does not result in composure, at least for them, because input had not resulted in insight. They had watched him do this, but they didn't gain the meaning of it. They needed the insight. What he did there would help them manage their daily affairs, but they hadn't been paying attention. So when their daily affairs had a storm on the water, they weren't sure how to respond. So input and insight are two different things. They had the facts, how many were fed, how much was used to feed them, how much was left over. In fact, if we'd have given them one of our typical Bible tests, they would have passed it easily. But that didn't mean they were ready. That didn't make any difference in how they were going to deal with their own special problems and and their daily affairs because input had not become insight. I want us to see the difference and to appreciate that. It's one thing to collect your biblical information and facts. It's quite another to understand what the scriptures are trying to say to help us deal with life and living it and handling problems. That's what it's about. It's impressive when when the leaders, the fathers, uh, uh, the men of the church say, you know, it's not enough for us to be superficially knowledgeable of the word of God. We need to know some of the deeper things of of the scriptures. And what's interesting to me is the women kind of get this more than the men do because they're more involved in in deeper things. Look how many women's study groups we have going on compared to men's. I think they get something that, that, fellas, we need to look into and understand more of and, and get a hold of. I believe this church, I believe the men in this church, I believe the homes need more insight into the scriptures to see the deep things of God and how they're supposed to affect our lives and help us deal with those things. 
Uh, we need more men like that in our church. We've got some, we need more. You can't have too many good, godly men in the church who have this kind of an attitude. Surface knowledge is not enough. Not if you're going to deal with the situations and problems. I know that's true. Ask our elders. All that they have to deal with, if they just go by a superficial knowledge of the scriptures, a surface knowledge, that's not going to be nearly enough. When I look at the condition that some of our homes are in, some of the things that individuals struggle with, a surface knowledge is not nearly enough. We need the deeper insights into the word of God so that we can see what he's trying to do to change our lives and affect the way we do things. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, people are complicated creatures. And when, when people make messes, they're not just messes, they're complicated messes. And they need something that can handle that and take care of it. And, and just merely having a book, chapter, and verse to quote for people is not enough. There needs to be an ex- ex- explanation. Boy, that was tough. There needs to be an explanation of what that verse means or, or those verses. How do I apply that into my life? Somebody who can explain that to them and for them. And it takes a person of insight to be able to do that. Knowing the difference between doctrine and tradition and discerning, you know, which is which takes insight to have that good understanding of the word of God. The second thing I want you to notice here, and it's also in verse 13, is the pursuit of insight. I want you to watch this valuable virtue and what it means to them and and what they did with that. You see that because the first element that's needed is the right amount of time. All it says is they, they came to Ezra. On the second day, they came together to do this. Verse 18, you, and, and as you read through, you understand that Ezra is reading from the law daily for these people. And they're taking the time to listen to it. Nobody suddenly becomes wise. In fact, some people never make it, it seems like. But especially when you look here with the Word of God, you're, you're not exposed to the Scriptures on, on Sunday And then on Monday, you've got deep insight. It takes a constant looking and studying and working on that and and coming to an understanding of what's there. And just like any other virtue that's worth having, it's going to take a commitment to time so that you can gain that, so that you can work on that, so that you can develop it. And so to gain insight into the Word of God, you've got to spend time there. And and typically we say, well, you know, I don't have that kind of time. I would suggest to you they probably didn't either, but they took the time. They made the time for doing that. And so the question comes up, how can we find more time for God's word? And, you know, just some practical suggestions for us. Uh, Try carrying a Bible around with you more than we do. You know, in this day and age, and especially with, with electronics, you know, you can download an app and you can put the Bible on there and you can have that with you wherever you go. I watch as we're constantly playing with the games on there, trying to find something to do, checking our email and all those other things. Read the Bible. Carry one with you on the car seat. You know, make sure you got it in the automobile. You're going to the doctor's office, take your Bible. I take books to read. Take the Bible. Spend time with God's Word in doing that. Take the Bible when you're traveling. Make sure you've got one with you. Well, yeah, because I'm going to go to church wherever I get. Well, what about in between there? You know, especially if you're going over territory where you've seen these miles and miles of territory before. Spend some time reading God's word or maybe pop in a a, a CD and listen to God's word or, or a message about God's word. Spend time 
with God's word. There was a fellow named Gibbon who wrote a, a huge work called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And I heard about a fellow, and I don't know if it's true or not, I thought it was kind of interesting. While he was waiting for his wife to get dressed to go out to dinner, he would always read a little bit of that book, that work, I should say, and finally read through the whole thing. I don't know what that says about how long it took for her to get ready to go out to dinner. But, you know, the, if you can take the time to do that, where's the time for God's word? If we find the desire, we find the time. And if you want more than a surface knowledge of God's word, and you want a knowledge that's going to make a difference in how you handle life's daily problems, spend time in the word. The second element that he mentions here is the right kind of teacher, Ezra. They came, gathered themselves to Ezra the scribe. This guy's no ordinary fellow. When you read in the book of Ezra, especially in chapter 7, it says he was a teacher of the law and well-versed. Uh, the hand of God was upon him. It says in verse 10 that he had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, to the teaching of its decrees and laws in Israel. In verse 25 he even says there in Ezra 7 that Artaxerxes said to Ezra, you possess the wisdom of your God. That's how much it stood out and how much he was respected for that. He wasn't just a volunteer Bible teacher. He was someone who had set his life and committed his life to the learning and the understanding of God's word and passing that on and teaching that to others. We need to spend more time with people like Ezra. And we are blessed in this church to have a lot of people like that. People we can spend time with who will help us understand more of the word of God. That's the kind of people we need to be around if we're going to gain insight into God's word. Ezra realized God had called him to a teaching ministry. He devoted himself to studying so that he'd be able to do that and do it right. And consequently, then the people came to Ezra and spent time with him. Now, this is my opinion and my opinion only, okay? I, I believe that there's a time and a place for for group Bible studies where uh, there's a lot of discussion of God's word and you can talk back and forth. But I worry about us personally ending up with what has been called SYI Bible study. Watch out for that. SYI Bible study stands for share your ignorance Bible study or, or pool your ignorance. We get together, everybody kind of talks about it. Nobody really knows what's going on, but we come away feeling great. We were together. But are we equipped more for how to handle life's daily affairs. Has somebody really taught us? The Bible says teachers. There's a reason for teachers. People who will teach us the word of God. And I think to really care about teaching, if we're going to realize that, that people are, are devoting themselves to the scriptures here, to understand it, we need to spend time around them. And for the future of this church to be praying that God's going to keep raising up men and women that we can go to like that here who will sit down and, and who can teach us and help us understand this is what the deep things of God's word say. And it's not enough to have a goal of a teaching ministry input. It's the insight. What does it mean? Don't just teach me facts. How do I apply it to my life? And the third element I notice they have is it takes the right type of attitude. In verse 13 it says, uh, look at the group that came. The heads of the families the priests, and the Levites. You know, when you're trying to teach a bunch of, of old folks and preachers something else new about the Word, that can be a difficult task. Sometimes our preachers' meetings, or ones I've been to over the years, are a waste of time, especially if you've got a guest speaker. 
fellow shows up and 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 all those preachers sitting around usually think you know they either could have said what he said or even said it better than what the speaker says and they end up just being more of a critique session and that's not right or you end up in a bible class you know and, you, and you've got a bunch of older folks they're not gonna they don't want to learn anything new just kind of fill me up with what i already think i believe that's not what's going on here and that's not what needs to be condoned in doing that you can't have insight unless you have a humble attitude that comes through the word and says there's something i can learn today there's something else i can learn by listening to the speaker you know and i found out that not only are there uh, different kinds of preachers and teachers there are also different kinds of listeners you know you can sit out there and you can critique me and say he's this this and this you know as as a, as a kind of preacher, but I get to stand up here and I can kind of look out there and, and I get to notice some things about you as listeners. I ran across a, somebody's list of, of the different kinds of listeners that you see in, in a congregation. It goes something like this. There are the samplers. They go from church to church, and what they do is just sample the preaching, see if it's what they like to hear, not what they need to hear. And you've got the, uh, the spectators they like to just watch things during the lesson. They, they watch the little kids. They watch what other people are wearing. They like to watch their watch to see if it's almost over. And you've got people who are organizers. They use the sermon time to plan out the rest of their week or maybe even what are we going to do for lunch? Do I need to stop at the store and pick up some food? You know, and, that, and that's, that's how valuable it is for them there. You've got the, uh, the powders. They're only there because they have to be. They really don't want to be. You've got the critics they're there to give the preacher a grade. You've got the Pharisees. They like to point out who needed the sermon. I'm glad Brother So-and-so was here to hear that sermon. He needed it. No personal applications. The question is, what kind of a listener are you? What kind of a listener am I? Insight comes from realizing that no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how well biblically educated you might think you are, you still need to learn. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, has a principle. And it reminds me that we're not going to learn the word of God until we develop an attitude that says, I need to be quick to listen. I need to be slow to speak. I need to be slow to become angry. And I need to humbly receive the word of God that's able to save my soul. And it's humbling for me to be here, to have all the educated people that we do, not just educated, but educated in the Bible. People in their, in their preaching and teaching ministry that we've been blessed with. And you're willing to let me get up and to speak and to teach and to share the things that I study. And for me to be able to believe that you don't have a bad attitude toward me, that, that you want to learn something, that I've got something worth sharing with you. And so I do my best to return the gesture when I'm not up here or when I'm not in front of the class I'm sitting. I try to make sure I'm going to learn too. I, I try to take notes. J.J. Turner was here a few years ago, and uh, he taught us when we were in preaching school, take notes, wherever you are, take notes, take notes. He hadn't heard me speak for 30 years, didn't know anything about what I was going to be like. And I looked down, and J.J. Turner was taking notes the man who's got a couple of doctorate degrees, the man who's written several books, who's taught in all kinds of academic institutions, still learning. And that should say something to all of us. It says something to me. 
I learn from everyone who stands in this pulpit who are the Wednesday night devotionals. I take notes on them, not just the filling in the outline. Other things that they'll say, there will be nice little bits of wisdom and things that are, that are worth grasping and holding on to. And when you put all those elements into perspective, when you put them all into play, if you will, you work on insight. Just read the rest of the chapter with me, beginning in verse 14. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the first and seventh, for the feast of the seventh months. I'm not going to make the same mistake. I'm going to make sure I got the glasses on to see it. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills, bring olive branches, wild branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees, to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square at the water gate, in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. And they would do that for a week. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. And he read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to this ordinance. When they did that, when they listened, their behavior changed. They did what the word said to do, and they were so glad that they did. They found things that they hadn't understood and realized they needed to be doing, and they did that. And I think that there are three things that result when you have insight. Number one is there's a readiness to obey in spite of convenience. They hadn't done this for generations. They hadn't done it probably for centuries, since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. How do you go that long as God's people and miss something that was commanded for you to do like that? They had managed to, to accomplish that. But would you like to do that? Go out and grab, you know, gather all these branches, build a little hut, and you and your family live in that for a week. Doesn't that sound exciting? Doesn't that sound great, Andy? Image your family be good one little, you know. Ah, uh, I should ask Jan, you know. <laughs> Putting families in those huts and living like that for why? Why would they do that? Well, can you imagine what Sanballat and all those other folks said? Hey, what are you doing? Well, we're gathering up all these different branches. Why? We're going to build huts. Why? Because we're going to live in these for a week. Why? Because God's word said so. We were reading and we got the insight that we're supposed to do that. Why? Because it's part of the way that we respond to God. Because God said so. How do you know he said that? We've been spending time in his word. Their obedience resulted in resurgence of national identity. For the first time in a long time, God's people are doing again what God wanted done. Because they're getting back to the word. And, and by the way, there are those who advocate ecumenism. And they establish their, uh, their basis for unity on having the lowest common denominator. There are some probably in here who are not familiar with the churches of Christ and what we stand up for and what we say that we believe in. The world of Christendom says, well, there needs to be unity. And the churches of Christ have said, we want to do that too and have unity. And the religious world would say, well, God only meant to have one church. And the churches of Christ have said, we agree with that. God only wants to have one church. And the religious world has said, well, the way to do that 
is go down to the lowest common denominator, throw out all the things and doctrines and stuff, you know, and beliefs except the ones we can agree on. And the churches of Christ have said the way to do that is to go back to the Word of God and find out simply what the Word of God says and do that. No bartering, no trading off, no give or take doctrines. Just get back to the book. And the way you know you're the people of God is when you go back and you find it in the book of God and you hold on to it and you live as God's people and you throw out what the Bible doesn't teach. And I believe when the people have that kind of an attitude, it's going to help an awful lot. But I want you to notice the second thing. When there's a willingness to change in spite of tradition. Because you see, people with insight live with shallow tent pegs, it's been said. And I like that. Nobody in Nehemiah 8 said, you know, we've never done it like that before. That never came up. No, they hadn't done it like that, but they're willing to do something different because that's what insight from God's word said for them to do. You know, it's easier to predict, to protect a few traditions, to do things like we've always done them, than become the word of God or go into the word of God and take on a challenging, demanding task of discerning this is what the scriptures say, and we're going to have to make some changes if they need to be made. It's easier to parrot what was done, what's going on before and not ask any questions and for every generation to just, you know, every generation needs to start anew and say, let's go back and make sure we're doing what the word says. There's a dangerous truth that I've observed, that any movement can become a monument. And in many ways, I think even in the churches of Christ with what we've set out to do, We've done that. We've gone from being a movement to a monument. We, we want to restore New Testament Christianity, and often we think we have. We'll say, you know, God doesn't want denominations. And yet, sometimes we've become just as bad. We've had so many splits and tears within us. Uh, we've not only become a denomination, we've become our own denomination because of the inner splits. We need to get back to the word of God. If we're going to restore the church, we need to be honest about it and say, you know, when we talk about Church of Christ doctrines and Church of Christ churches and, and, and Church of Christ Christians, what kind of biblical language is that? Let's get back and do just what the Bible says. Restoration is always a process. It's never an accomplishment. And it's the challenge of each generation to get back into the Word of God and make sure that takes place. Restoration will stop when we stop preaching And when we start repeating just only what men have said over the years and we stop paying attention to God's word, we need to understand that it'll also stop if we just think wholesale changes just because we want to change are going to do things for us without asking, is that what we really need to do? When we've become content to stop studying, stop thinking, and stop looking into what God's word wants, then it's going to be nothing but a problem. If we keep doing that, we're going to raise up a generation of kids who aren't going to carry anything about what we believe, and they'll leave the church. Oh, you know what? I've already seen some of that happening, and that bothers me. And the third thing I see is there's an eagerness to rejoice in spite of circumstances. The Bible says the joy was great in Israel. Doesn't sitting in a small hut with your wife and all your kids just sound like an exciting thing to do for a whole week? Rather go camping. Rather go shopping. Rather do this. Rather do that. 
But it was fun for them back then because they were obeying God's word and being God's people. And we have a tough time having a lot of joy and fun just sitting in an assembly sometimes spread out all over the auditorium. What do we do? You can't enslave a person who understands God's word. You can't put him in, or you can put him in jail, you can put him in prison, but you can't enslave somebody who has an understanding of God's word and responds to it. So let me close with this. I think the need for insight has never been any greater than it is right now and even at this place. There's always room for more insight, isn't there? And let me say secondly to the men of the congregation, I I think it's good if each one of us pay attention to how important it is, the emphasis on the men, the heads of the houses, the, the church leaders. If we would appreciate the desire and have the attitude that our sisters do when it comes to God's word, it would make an incredible difference. And I'm not saying we don't try. I'm just saying there's room for improvement in all of that. And if you're not right now working to, to gain insight from the scriptures, how are you going to help your life and the church and your family? There needs to be more of that going on. And if we don't have that, our future becomes pretty dim. We need more, more husbands, more fathers, more deacons, more young men, more old men to show the desire to have more insight from the word of God. As I understand it, there are only two things that are going to last forever. One is the word of God and the other is souls of people. And I think we need to make sure we major in both. I want to start doing something a little bit different with my invitations. I want you to think about Sometimes just the words of the songs we sing. And this, this got to me the other night on Wednesday night. Song number 147 is I Stand Amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. For me it was in the garden. He prayed not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but he sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows, and he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered, and he died alone. And when with a ransomed in glory his face I at last shall see, it will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous! How wonderful my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. If you can sit there this morning, knowing you haven't done what God has called you to do, to obey his gospel, to be baptized in water, to have your sins forgiven because he loved you and died for you. And if you can sit there knowing your life needs some changes to be made, and not straighten it up where it needs to be. I don't know what I can do for you, but I'll pray for you and I'll invite you. You come while we stand, while we sing.